When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice, and I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin, and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to badlandsfood.com hometown and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash hometown. Great image of God with forefinger pointed straight at me through halos and rolls and gold folds that were like the existence of the gleaming spear in his right hand which saith, Come on, boy, go thou across the ground. Go moan for man. Go moan. Go groan. Go groan alone. Go roll your bones alone. Go thou and be little beneath my sight. Go thou and be minute as seed in the pod. Go thou, go thou, die hence. And of this world, report you well and truly. Anyway, I wrote the book because we're all gonna die. That was American legend and professional deranged raconteur Jack Kerouac sitting atop Desolation Peak in North Cascades National Park Complex. After he wrote On the Road, but before it was published, Kerouac spent a summer here as a fire lookout in 1956. Among other things, Kerouac was known for his moody, angsty prowls. His summer on a mountaintop, called Desolation Peak, predictably resulted in a long barrage of cheerful reflections, like, My father dead, my brother dead, my mother far away, my sister and my wife far away, nothing here but my own tragic hands that once were guarded by a world, a sweet attention, that now are left to guide and disappear their own way into the common dark of all our deaths, sleeping in me raw bed alone and stupid, with just this one pride and consolation, my heart broke in a general despair and opened up inwards to the Lord. I made a supplication in this dream. But to be fair to Jack, there is something about these massive, isolated mountains along the Washington-Canadian border that makes you feel small. Visiting these parks, you simply run out of adjectives. My mind keeps reaching for the word epic, but it's so overused that I know it just won't communicate what I want it to. If you spend enough time up there, you won't have to be an alcoholic beat poet to start rambling. And tonight the stars will be out. And don't you know that God is Pooh Bear? 
The evening star must be drooping and shedding her sparkler dims on the prairie, which is just before the coming of complete night that blesses the earth, darkens all the rivers, cups the peaks, and folds the final shore in. Nobody, nobody knows what's going to happen to anybody besides the forlorn rags of growing old. Big ancient places like the North Cascades have a way of reminding us how temporary and fragile our lives really are. They help us locate ourselves on a grander scale, and that's part of the value of the national park system. When we return to our, quote, normal lives, we hopefully do so with more context, insight, and even compassion for those who share our strange and often beautiful world. The picture of me on the cover of On the Road results from the fact that I had just gotten down from a high mountain where I'd been for two months completely alone. And usually I was in the habit of combing my hair, of course, because you have to get rides on the highway and all that. And you usually want girls to look at you as though you were a man, not a wild beast. But who knows, my God, but that the universe is not one vast sea of compassion, actually? The veritable holy honey? Beneath all this show of personality and cruelty? In fact, who knows but that it isn't the solitude of the oneness of the essence of everything? Hama? The solitude of the actual oneness of the unbornness of the unborn essence of everything. Hama? Nay! The true, pure foreverhood. That big blank potential that can ray forth anything it wants from its pure store. That blazing bliss. Mati Vajrakaruna, the transcendental diamond compassion. My team learned about the North Cascades after researching Kerouac at the Beat Museum in San Francisco. We drove to Washington three days later, and it was as big and breathtaking as the poet had suggested. But it was also a little bit confusing in its layout relative to other parks. So I reached out to Jim for some basic orientation. People hear about North Cascades National Park, and perhaps they're not familiar with it. It's a relative latecomer in the world of national parks. In fact, it wasn't established until 1958. And the name can be a little confusing if you start looking at information about the park because North Cascades National Park is part of what's called officially the North Cascades Complex. And the complex includes both the National Park and also Ross Lake National Recreation Area and Lake Chelan National Recreation Area. And all three of those units basically merged together into really one large area. Originally, the idea was it would just all be one giant park. And there's a lot of technical and political reasons why they have it divided up like it is. But for planning purposes, to visitors, it doesn't really matter. So I mentioned that just in case someone's looking at a map and they see the Lake Chelan or the Ross Lake and wonder if that makes any difference in terms of what you're doing to visit. It doesn't. So while we're talking about it, I'm just going to refer to all of it as the park and we'll lump all of them together into one spot. And it doesn't really matter what you call it. It's a magnificent place. For many years, fans of the area that were talking about it and trying to promote it, I referred to it as the North American Alps. And I think that's probably pretty valid. Just to say there's some of the steepest mountains in North America relative to the, the height compared to the vertical. In fact, somebody joked and said, the park has got a certain number of acres, but if you that's because it's standing on end. If you laid it out flat, it'd be three times bigger than it is otherwise. But it's it's got a lot of vertical terrain. It's got over 300 glaciers, the most glaciers in the United States anywhere outside of Alaska. 
there's really three general kinds of visits you can make to the North Cascades. The first is a great scenic drive across the central part of the park. And you can easily do that in a day or even less. That's what most people do when they come to this park. If you rush through, though, if you try to just dive through, you'll miss some really great short hikes that are really easy enough for people to enjoy. But that's one way to see the park is just get it through on the scenic drive. The second is a visit down to the Lake Chelan area of the park, which almost everybody does by boat. And it's possible to sample that area of the park in a day also. Although some people want to go and spend several nights, that's possible to do in some great lodging there. And the third way to see the park is to get into the backcountry. This is really an excellent park for some serious mountaineering or for backpackers. And so we'll talk about that in a bit. But I thought we'd focus first on the scenic drive because that's what most people do. There's a highway called State Route 20 that runs east and west, runs right through the middle of the park. It's a beautiful drive. The elevation varies quite a bit. It's started about 500 feet on the west side of the park. If you go all the way through the park and keep going a little further, you get to 5,400 feet at the Washington Pass, the high point of the road. And so a lot of variety. Route 20, interesting enough, is the longest highway in the state of Washington. It runs all the way across the strait, the state from west to east, not very far below the Canadian border. It's only about a two or three hour drive from Seattle. And so it's a great place for people to go on the weekend. And that's maybe one tip. If you're planning a trip and you're coming from some distance, if you can manage to be there on a weekday rather than a weekend, it won't be as busy while you're there. But the one thing to keep in mind, people say, well, we're close to Seattle, a couple of hours. We'll just buzz up there in November or March and have a little getaway. Comes back to one of my favorite tips, which is, always to be sure you have good information about a park and check the park website for any tips or information about what's going on. And that's certainly important at North Cascades because that scenic drive is not open during the wintertime. We'll talk a little more about that in depth in just a minute. But in terms of tips on the park website, almost every park sometime over the course of a year or two, there is going to be some kind of major road construction going on or something's been damaged to it by a storm. The Yellowstone floods they've had there in June of this year are a good example. So check the website, look for what's called alerts on the homepage, and that'll give you a heads up if there's anything important going on. But for example, if you were going to North Cascades in 2022, the Scenic Road Route 20, a portion of it outside the park had some major flood damage last year. And so traffic is down just to one lane at a time or one stretch of the road. And they're working to try to get that all repaired this year. But that means there's going to be some pretty significant delays there if you were driving it this year. So one thing just to keep in mind, it may be something different next year. The park is also doing a lot of work along that road. A lot of paving is going on and some of the campgrounds are going to be closed for a week at a time. Some of the scenic pullouts are going to not be available. So and just a good idea to check before you go and be sure you're not surprised. Now, I talked about the winter there on Route 20. And just you want to be sure if you're going to make a trip that the road is open as the highway gets up into those mountainous parts of the trip. One site says they have perhaps as many avalanches on that stretch of road as any highway in the country. And so as a result, they figured it's 
a losing battle trying to keep it open. And it's not very safe to do that anyway. And so that that entire stretch of Route 23, the park is only open from about May through mid-November. Now, the dates vary from year to year. Some years it opens in April. Some years not until the 1st of June. It just depends on those on the snow conditions for that year. So again, check before you make the trip and make sure what's going on. Because there is so much elevation variation in that park also, if you're going there to take either a serious backcountry hike or just want to stroll on one of the short trails, the lower elevation trails are in great shape usually by May. You get up to some of the higher elevations of the park, some of those trails are not snow-free until June, maybe even the 1st of July. So again, you want to do your homework before you go so that you won't get there and find out something that is not possible. Because of our confusion on our way into the park, we did a fair amount of driving before we found our way. But if there's any place you might not regret being lost for a little bit, especially from the safety of your car, it's a national park. We didn't always know what we were looking at, but it was always captivating. I asked Jim if he might help spare our listeners the same confusion. There are a lot of places people like to stop and look at along that drive through the park. I thought I mentioned maybe just a few highlights that somebody is going to try to just to get through and hit some of the high points. If you're, let's say you're coming in from the Seattle area and going from west to east through the park, not too long after you come into the park, there's a little small community called New Halem and the Park Visitor Center is there. And if you stop there, I always encourage people to stop at the Park Visitor Center, uh, pick up a, a map because they don't, don't count on a cell signal for your app on the phone or the GPS and ask them about updates on the trails and that kind of thing. But while you're there, there's a real bonus, even if the Vista Center is not open, the shortest trail in the park. It's only uh, 330 feet long. It starts there near the Vista Center. It's called the Sterling Monroe Boardwalk. But you've got some great rewards for almost zero effort. If you walk all the way to the end, 330 feet to the end of that trail, then there's a great view of the Pickett Mountains there in the park. And it's, if you bring a pair of binoculars, it's the only place you can see a glacier actually from, from the paved road, Highway 20. Again, 300 glaciers in the park, but you got to hike to see most of them. But if you're on this trail there by the visitor center, bring your binoculars and you can see it. You might also spot some mountain goats on the mountains there from the end of that little short trail. So there's a bonus for stopping at the visitor center, take that little short hike. And there are also half a dozen other really easy short hikes you can take right there in the visitor center area. Now, if you continue on the drive on Route 20 from the visitor center, you'll notice as you make that trip, you'll come to three dams on the Skagit River. And you might think that's kind of unusual to have uh, all these dams built in a national park. And that's because they were there a long time before the park was established. They were all built to provide hydroelectric power. And in fact, to understand about 20% of the electricity used by Seattle City Light, their main utility comes from these three dams on the Skagit River. So you'll see those as you drive along. The first one you come to going from west to east is the Gorge Dam. And there's a pull out there. If you stop, there's an easy half mile loop trail. Goes to a really nice waterfall, 242 feet high. So if you want a leg stretcher, that's a good place to stop. And if you continue on then eastward on Route 120 for another four miles, you'll come to the second dam. It's called Diablo, D-I-A-B-L-O. 
there's a pullout there, but some of the traveled experts from that part of the country say rather than to stop there at the dam, keep going for about another five miles, and you'll get to a pullout there. They have these mile post markers on the edge of the road with the number. If you get to about just past mile 131 at the Diablo Lake Overlook, one writer from the Seattle Times says, if you're only going to make one stop on the entire drive on Route 20, 120, make it at Diablo Lake. It's If you look at a lot of reviews, you see must stop and stunning and don't miss and those kind of adjectives. So that's certainly a place you want to include on your trip if you can. And one of the attractions of that spot, one of the unusual features is you have a gorgeous view of mountains all around this beautiful lake. But people comment about the color, particularly there during the summer, uh, July, August, September. It's a real distinct turquoise blue rather unusual, and that's because it's uh, glacial fed. When the glaciers are grinding their way down the mountains and grinding up all the rock and particles, and then when you get the runoff in the late spring, early summer, all those tiny particles are washed down into the water. It's called glacial flower is the geologist term for it. So basically, it's this very finely suspended sediment in the water but it causes the sunlight then to be refracted when it hits the water and gives us this turquoise color. You'll see that in some other lakes all around the world that are located below glaciers, and that's always the same reason, that really neat color. But it makes a great spot to stop and enjoy the scenery and and try to get some photos. Now, you can find a couple more overlooks there in the park along Route 20 headed east, and eventually you'll come to the park boundary. And my advice there is if you've got a little more time, maybe another hour or so. Just because you're leaving the park doesn't mean that the scenery stops right there at the boundary. You're going on to some U.S. Forest Service land. And if you keep going, really, some of the best views on the whole drive are still ahead of you. Maybe Diablo Lake maybe is the best, but there's some other great ones on beyond. If you go another 25 miles beyond the park boundary, the road will be climbing steadily. When you get up to about 4,800 feet, you'll come to a place called Rainy Pass. I might suggest to you it's a little damp there times of the year. Not a rainforest, but it is rainy there occasionally. It's pretty green. But if you stop there, there's a picnic area, and there's a two-mile round-trip paved trail. It's absolutely beautiful. You can go to a place called Rainy Lake, and it's sure worth the hike from everything that I've read about it. It should be worth the stop. Just keep in mind, though, like we mentioned earlier, It's pretty high elevation. They get a lot of snow. It's possible there will be some snow on the trail even in June. So if you're there early, if you're there in a May visit, the trail may not be a great opportunity. So it depends upon the time you're going to be there. So when you finish your stop and your hike there at the Rainy Pass, if you go another four miles, you come to Washington Pass, which is the high point of the road, over 5,400 feet. And it's another just magnificent view there. In fact, if you look up on the south side of the road, there's a place called Liberty Bell Mountain, over 7,700 feet. It's a real mecca for rock climbers. In fact, someone's put out a book called The 50 Classic Climbs of North America. And there's a climb on that mountain called the Liberty Crack. I guess that's a takeoff on the crack in the Liberty Bell that climbers like to go in. And climbers like to start their Times from that parking area because it gives them a big jump start on the route. So you may see some folks climbing there, but it's really a beautiful view. And if you're parked there at the overlook, 
there's a just a quarter mile long trail that one review says, here's the words that they've got for unrelenting in your face beauty. You can't beat this roadside wheelchair friendly quarter mile walk. So sound like the senior there, according to a lot of folks is really worth a stop. And that would be a, a good place for you to go. Again, keep in mind the season might be a factor. Snow may limit your ability to do much hiking there even into June. So uh, but stop if you can enjoy that because it's really a beautiful spot to enjoy the scenery. Now, when you get to Washington Pass, the scenic part of your drive is basically over. You'll start literally downhill for a long way from there. If your time is short and you can either continue your trip on east on Route 20 or you can backtrack if you came from Seattle. But if you want to see the other part of the park that I mentioned, you've got a decision to make at that point from Washington Pass. It's about 100 miles and about a two-hour drive down to the small town of Chelan, C-H-E-L-A-N, Chelan, Washington. And if you go down to Chelan, you're at the south end of Lake Chelan, which is 50 miles long. The catch is if you're trying to get back to the park, only the northern tip of Lake Chelan is in the park. The rest of it is all surrounded by private land and U.S. Forest Service land. And if you are going back into the park, the big attraction there is a little tiny settlement. You're around population of probably less than 80 people called Stuhecken, and it's spelled S-T-E-H-E-K-I-N, but pronounced Stuhecken. And it's right on the northern end of Lake Chelan, but the trick is there's no roads there. So if you're going to make a trip to Stehekin, you have to go there by boat. Now, theoretically, you can go by horseback or you could hike, or if you have your own boat, and I understand you can even charter a seaplane from Seattle if you really want to get there in style. But almost everybody that goes to Stehekin gets there by boat. There are two private ferry companies that operate from the southern end of the lake. They're around the town of Chelan that go to Hecken. And they operate on a daily basis from about early May to mid-October. And then they operate several days a week year-round. But it's one of those things you want to check the schedule before you plan your trip. And there's several options. They have different boats that operate. Some of them are faster than others. You can make the trip from the south end to the north end of the lake at anywhere from about 70 minutes up to about four hours, depending upon which one of the ferries you choose. Now, some days during the visitor season, if you want, it is possible just to make a day trip from Chelan up to Hecken. Depending upon which boat you take, you can be there anywhere from about an hour and a half to as long as six hours up at the north end of the lake. And if you want to stay overnight, there's some really very attractive lodging opportunities. There's a big lodge. There's several private cabins you can rent. There's a guest ranch. So things that you can do and spend really a nice time there if you want. But if you want to make a day trip, it's possible. In fact, a company there is, there's an 11 mile long road that starts at the boat landing and parallels the lake for a short distance. And if you choose the right ferry, they'll meet you there with a bus. They'll take you two miles up the road. You can take a short hike to a beautiful waterfall, go back down to time to get a lunch. There's a great little bakery there. One of the few businesses in town that rave reviews about their cinnamon rolls. Then you can take the ferry and get back at the end of the day. So there are day trip options if you choose to do that. If you're going to go there and stay there during the visitor season, there are usually places you can get meals 
but a lot of people go and just plan to do their own cooking. Some of the rooms, cabins have their own kitchen. If you do that, just be sure you take your own groceries. There's a, a small, quote, general store there, but understand the options are a little bit limited. So if you have specific things you want to know on your meals, better take your own food. The way to get great information to plan a trip there, that area has a, a website, uh, steheken.com. Again, it's spelled S-T-E-H-E-K-I-N. And they've got links to the websites for the ferry companies and the places you can stay and tours and that sort of thing to help you plan your visit. I mentioned earlier that North Cascades is an outstanding place to go if you're interested in backpacking or serious mountaineering. If you're going to do either one of those, you need to really do your homework. There's some great information on the park website about permits you need. And again, the seasons, people go there to climb on for ice and snow climbing, for example, but you need some details about that. If you look at the park website, in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see a link for plan your visit. And if you just slide down from there to where it says things to do, you'll see a whole list of details about things like boating and camping and climbing and hiking and that sort of thing. You can get all you need to know about that kind of activity. I'm going to, I'm going to mention just for fun, if you're going there or think about a trip, maybe go mountaineering. And if you're just a little superstitious, there's some names there that might give you pause about whether this is the trip you really want to make. Uh, I look, spent a while looking at the map. Here's some real place names in North Cascades National Park. Mount Terror, Mount Fury, Mount Challenger, Forbidden Peak, and Mount Despair. And if that doesn't set you back enough, there's also Mount Formidable and Mount Torment. So I guess you just take your luck if you want, but consider the, uh, the names for some of those spots. I mentioned all those names really in jest, especially saying, well, if you don't want to go to uh, Mount Fury, well, maybe you can take a hike over Easy Pass. And I'll clarify that by saying you should never <laughs> choose a destination for a hike or a climb just based on the name Easy Pass. It's absolutely beautiful. The views from a hike over Easy Pass may perhaps be some of the finest in the park. But the asterisk next to that information is that the hike is anything but easy. Over a stretch of only three and a half miles, the trail gains 2,800 feet. So it's a tough hike. So keep that in mind if you're trying to plan a hike. Just don't look at the name on the map. And I've got an excellent example about why you also need to be careful if you're getting information just off the internet. This happened just in this month, June of 2022, a, a teacher from a school in Germany was responsible for picking up a destination for a school trip for 99 kids in their early teens. So they had 99 children and eight adults. They had to be rescued by helicopter because they got stranded on a dangerous mountain trail in Austria. And they said evacuating 107 people from the mountains by helicopter was not an easy job. It took more than 50 rescuers to pull this thing off. But here's the key point. The teacher chose this hike on the basis of reading a single review on a website that described the route as an ideal opportunity for a relaxed after-work stroll. The reality is the trail is so dangerous, all the local tourism authorities have taken it off the map. They don't even want people going there. But the teacher chose on the basis of one online review. The local rescue official said, they had a good piece of advice that said, 
if you're going on a hike, just get advice from somebody local that knows about it. And he said they've had numerous cases there of tourists. They had to be airlifted out because they're getting on a challenging trail wearing flip-flops or sneakers. And I thought his quote was really telling. It says, naively trusting what you read somewhere online can get you into unpleasant situations. I thought that was a classic understatement. But good advice, that applies any place in the world at North Cascades or the Grand Canyon or Yosemite or anywhere else. I that was a good tale to kind of remind us. Don't choose it on the basis of just the name or one review on the internet. I admit it to Jim, but I do this too. I rely on reviews maybe more than I should, but sometimes it's the only thing you have to go by. <laughs> well, the thing is we don't know the background of person that wrote the review. In the case of the one in Germany or in Austria where the teacher took the advice of God said it was an easy thing to do after work. He was an expert mountaineer. For him, it was probably an easy thing to do after work, but you don't know that when you read his review. So uh, just a word to the wise, because it's online doesn't mean it's true, right? As I mentioned, and as is the case with all of these parks that we've covered, we loved our time in the North Cascades. But this is the part of the episode where I'd like to share a couple of negative reviews from Shane, a different Shane with a very different opinion. One star, don't go. You'll hate it. From Alexander V, one star. This is the worst national park in the world. The food is nasty. The animals are poisonous. It is just bad over there. And Sandy L, who either does not understand the purpose of these reviews or has logged her complaint with the wrong organization. Our RV was sitting there for four months. We dropped our RV off at the beginning of October and it got back completely unsatisfied at the end of January. They told us repeatedly that they could only get two sets of lever springs and not four, telling us that they were on back order and didn't know when, if ever, they would arrive. So after three months, finally installed two sets. When we got home, and with one phone call, we found two other sets of springs. This last review reminded me of a story I'd heard Jim tell about another visitor who lost the plot in the North Cascades. And as always... There's a valuable lesson in it for all of us. That's true. You know, the way that started that she had, she had a great plan at the beginning. This lady was going on a hike there in the North Cascades. She told some friends, I'm going to this particular trail. Here's my vehicle description. If they don't come back, well, send help. So she didn't come back. And so they sent help. Couldn't find the lady. Her vehicle was not there. No trace of her. They wasted some valuable time in the wrong spot. It turns out that she had changed her plans didn't tell anybody she was going to a different spot. Thankfully, they still had her vehicle description. They found her car 50 miles away at a totally different trailhead in the park. So they started the search again there, expanded to a second day. Pretty soon they're using four helicopters, five dog teams, a tracking team, a dive team, and 40 individual searchers looked all day. Couldn't find her, but they did find two notes that she left. And that that seemed like a logical thing to do. She said, I'm lost. I need help. I'm going to start hiking downstream. So please come find me. They looked all the rest of the day downstream. No sign of her. Third day, they said, well, we'll start looking upstream. We'll look up as far upstream as it's reasonable to think somebody could possibly travel. And they finally found her over two miles upstream from where they found the notes. So she said, well, I left you a third note. Said I changed my mind. 
she said, I decided downstream was going the wrong way. So I turned around, went upstream, but they didn't find the third note. And so, unfortunately, that prolonged the whole thing. She was there an extra day, an extra night, a lot of extra stress and time expense for everybody involved. So leaving the notes was a fine plan. But the reality is if they had, think about if you're in a thick forest and a mountain and you can spot a note, you're doing a pretty good job as a searcher. If they could have found the note, if she had stayed where the note was written, they would have found her a day sooner. So a couple of things you can learn from that. To first, don't hike alone unless you're going to be on a really heavily traveled trail. Nothing else. If you get hurt and you're hiking by yourself, you can. there's nobody to send for help. But if you realize you're lost, the main rule is just stop moving. Just sit down and sit tight. As I said, try to make yourself large. If you've got something brightly colored, you can lay out on the ground if they're looking for the helicopter to spot you. But if you just keep moving, the odds are you're going to be harder to find, just as in this case. And you run the risk of getting injured if you're just going off trail somewhere in, in rough country. And then finally, just always pick an activity and a destination that fits your skill level and your comfort level. You'll have a lot more fun. One good expression is if you don't get in over your head, then you won't lose your head on the trip. And that's a probably a pretty good piece of advice. I asked him for a final word on the North Cascades. So I hope people have a chance to go to North Cascades and I hope it will be memorable for all the right reasons. And maybe if that's the case, you'll be reminded of the names of two other peaks there, Glory Mountain and Magic Mountain. So I hope those are the names that'll stick your mind and maybe not Mount Terra if you go to North Cascades. I want to thank Jim again for joining us. And I've included a link to where you can find some of his books in the episode show notes. I'd also like to thank Jim and Will for more than just parks. Their website is also in the show notes. We really couldn't have asked for better partners in telling the story of the National Park Service. And we hope you found their input as helpful as we have. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. 
For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.